Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 532. This world has an amazing way of, of having things come, come through in, in different ways. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited and revved up to introduce a very special guest, David Donner. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I have my six-point harness on and ready to roll. All right, great. Well, I hope we don't need that harness. I'll try to keep everything between the guardrails and on the hill, as they say in our Our listeners will learn what that means in just a minute. David Donner is a 28-year racing veteran and former overall winner and current title holder in Time Attack 2 at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. In fact, he's a five-time winner at Pikes Peak. In 2015, he piloted a 2014 911 Turbo Porsche for a win. He's raced at the 24 Hours Daytona, the Monterey Historics, driving a 1971 Ferrari 512M. And he's raced in the Panos Pro Series in the American Le Mans Series. He's raced internationally as well in New Zealand. David's an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and he's appeared in numerous television commercials for Range Rover, Audi, Subaru, and Porsche. So David, I told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your history, your racing career, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, you know, it. I thought about this and, and how to sort of put it in a nutshell. And, you know, really it goes back to my father and basically growing up with machinery, equipment, everything in, in front of my eyes. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed to, uh, to have been around some really amazing cars in my lifetime, mainly Ferraris that my father got into. But beyond that, the racing started early with karting and club racing, um, you know, road racing. And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb is an event that my family's been with, uh, been involved with for over 60 years or yeah. beyond that. Actually. Yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about, I mean, your father was heavily involved in that event, right? Well, yeah, it, it is, it, actually our entire family, my, my grandfather helped revive it after World War II. My father ran a, a Porsche RS60 and, and an RS61 up there. Oh, in, wow. In the, in the day, you know, in 1661. Yeah. And he won every time he went up there. He won, and you know this is a full-on road race car that was he put it on gravel and 
ran it up a mountain to 14,000 feet. So yeah, because uh, in, in those days, half the mountain was not paved like it is now, right? right no, the entire the – the whole race course was gravel. Oh, and, wow. uh, and, you know, Colorado granite, so very loose and uh, totally different world. Um, now it's fully paved. But mm-hmm. So he won, he won it three times. My late brother Bobby won it once, and then I've won it uh, five times. And, uh, in fact, this year our family's been inducted into the – Pikes Peak Hill Climb Hall of Fame, which is a big deal for our, our family involvement over the many generations. Oh, so yeah. It's kind of an exciting event. This will be the 100th anniversary this year of the of the race. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting year. And, yeah, I had Mitch Snow on the show. He talked about the 100th anniversary, and uh, that's how I was introduced to you and how this event is just, just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. I've had about five or six other guests on the show who've raced up that mountainside. So uh, kudos to you, your dad, your grandfather. Oh my gosh, you guys have quite a legacy on that hill. Well, it is. And, you know, I've been fortunate or maybe unfortunate to <laughs> see the road see the road go to full pavement from the gravel days. So I've mm-hmm. wanted on gravel, half gravel, half tarmac, and then full asphalt, you know, mm-hmm. tarmac, whatever you like to call it. But three different basic race courses and it's uh you know it's a totally different course than it used to be but right. it's still a still entails the same challenges that that it always has you know it's just unpredictable pretty much uh, uh, yes yes and last year i remember watching you guys would get to the top and it was snowing up there so you never know what's going to happen around the next corner we're going to learn a lot more about this event and all the racing that you do as we move along but first i always like to start with a success quote This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. I know you love to drive, so David, take the wheel. Well, you know, I uh, one of the things that always keeps me going is preparation brings results. And that goes with racing, that goes with anything. It sounds sort of uh, very basic and common sense, but when the truth comes to it, I mean, it's it's the most important element of of anything. that's done correctly, especially in the automotive world and the racing world, you don't just show up. It's a matter of being well prepared ahead of everyone else. You're not working on cars at the track. I mean, you're, you're ready to go when you get there. And um, especially for Pikes Peak, I mean, there's no, there's no time to, to, to mess around with things. So right. I, I've kind of lived by that for many years. I've had a lot of racers here at Cars, yeah. And one of the things I've heard several times is, Ninety percent of winning a race happens before you get to the track. Absolutely, it's exactly yeah. exactly right. Preparation is so key, and you're right with life as well, business, anything. Being prepared, whether you're going for a job interview, whether you're launching a new product, whatever you're doing, and being prepared is uh, so so important. So, great quote, I love it. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars and racing? Now you. You grew up in a family where your blood was motor oil, it sounds like. It was already flowing through your veins when when you were born. But is there a pivotal moment for you personally when you realized that you wanted to race cars? Well, you know, as I said earlier, it's it was a lifestyle growing up. I mean, I was a kid that... Uh my father had been in the uh, the radio business, and, and when he got out of that, he, he sort of had his eye on famous Ferraris. And, you know, this was before anybody really knew what what that market was going to do. And I, I was fa- a big fan of Nicky Lauda's growing up in the early 70s. And, you know, the next thing I know, my dad has a Lauda car, you know, the 74 Ferrari 
312 B3, which was, Ooh, you know, yeah. an unbelievable car, flat 12. He ran it, you know, he raced it in a lot of club stuff. and But it was in the days when nobody really knew what it was. In, in, in the same era, you know, he'd show up with a Ferrari 512M, which was the cars that, that ran at Le Mans without a lot of success, but they were still incredible cars. Just growing up with that, and, and in addition to that, he picked up the last Ferrari GTO, serial number 5575, which was oh. the actual last Ferrari GTO made. I mean, it was it was a different body than the Series 1. It mm-hmm. was a Series 2 car, but there are only three of those in the world. And uh, unfortunately, those cars later were sold. But it was during that era, the early 70s, that it really sort of sparked me that, uh, you know, because I grew, my dad had retired from racing in the 60s, so I didn't see a lot of that early on when he was running. So it was it was more that point, you know, so it's more of a, a lifestyle, a lifetime event, you know, as opposed to one, you know, one moment. Well, I can only imagine the influence of a young man, a boy whose dad had loud as 312. I mean, that's the, the snorkel car, right? With the big ear yeah, and take exactly. of it. Yeah, and a GTO. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and you're right back then. I mean, they were special, but not because of the, the financial prowess they hold today. But they were exactly. special from a historic standpoint, handmade cars, beautiful cars, wonderful to drive. So lucky kid you were, that's for sure. Another thing, too, was in, I guess it was around 1980, we decided to go to Le Mans for the 24-hour, and he took a uh, Ferrari BBLM, which was, you know, not the fastest car in the world, but they lasted, Mm -hmm. you know, for the full 24 hours. And I crewed as a young teenager for Goodyear to exchange tires all night. And in our time off, we'd we'd take a golf cart down to the end of the Mulsanne, and there were no chicanes or anything in those days. And the cars were hitting close to 250 miles an Uh, hour. Yes. I mean, much faster (laughs) than today. Yeah. And just, and literally, I mean, this is crazy, but we'd walk right up to the guardrail and just, just sit in awe, you know? Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's really, really happening. But that was a big, a big moment for me too, to see a, you know, professional, racing at an international level and be part of it, it was pretty spectacular. So that was an amazing experience. I can't even imagine. I had Vic Elford on the show, and he talked uh, at length about racing a Porsche 917 down that straight at 240, 250-plus miles an hour, and just the speed, I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to imagine. But to be a young man again there, uh, being on the pit crew, seeing it all happen, oh, so fortunate. Really very cool. Thank you for sharing that. How about sharing some of the roads you've traveled down? I mean, racing and being involved in that is fraught with ups and downs. And I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way. Maybe it was a, something that happened where you said, uh, I'm not going to do this anymore. But of course, the most important part is how did you overcome that particular challenge? How were you able to move forward and learn from it? Well, you know, I experienced a very... A horrible thing, you know, when I was in my younger 20s, I was into racing, you know, SCCA club racing, and we were running these cars for uh, Pikes Peak. Both my brother and I did extremely well. He won that year in 1989. And this was a uh, an event at the end of the season. And he was tragically killed by hitting a deer at, at a high rate of speed mm. in the in the morning, first run. I don't know if everyone's familiar with what a hill climb is, but it's, you know, it's one car at a time and basically two minutes apart. And um, actually, I was on the start line about ready to get the green flag. And he pulled up with his car and said, you know, signaled, look, you know, my car's overheating. I'm going to go first. Oh, so I'm, I'm like, whatever. And, uh, and, and the weird thing is we both felt 
sick that morning. We both had like nauseous stomachs. It just mm. something was eerie about that day that I'll never I'll yeah. never forget and I'll always listen to my intuition. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Forever. Oh my gosh. But um you know, he, he the accident occurred. Um I was next the next car behind and then, you know, from there it was just a a scene of just disbelief and, you know, something that's just terrible. And you know, at that point, at that age, young, in my early 20s, I was, you know, ready to adventure into some new areas and within racing and uh, opportunities. And it just, I mean, it just killed me. I mean, it just yeah. literally crushed me like, you know, this is it. I'm done with this. Right. I'm going to pursue other passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, something inside me sort of uh, came forth and, and, and basically woke me up to the fact that, look, you know, life is about experiences and I hadn't fully experienced everything I wanted to. And I, I, I decided to continue on racing and, uh, and, you know, running Pike's peak and doing these things. And it, and it actually, I believe was a form of healing, you know, in a way, right, right. To, uh, you know, sort of get back into it. And, you know, I never wanted to live with any sort of regret or bad feelings because it was such a, you know, a fate moment. Um, that occurred. Right. Well, uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing a really personal story. So sorry for your loss. Uh, you just, you look at situations like that and you just go, well, things happen and what can you do? And I, I have to believe your brother would have always wanted you to continue on with what you're passionate about. I think you know that. I'm sure you've discussed that with yourself and your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, that you have to carry on and do what you're passionate about because you would have always looked back and said, what if, probably would have eventually gone back anyway. But what a tragic story. Oh, my gosh, just horrible that you had to go through that. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you carried on. I I know that you are, too, and I know your brother's looking down, and he is as well, Yeah. in addition to being very proud of you as well. So, wow. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I, I'd love for you to share a story that is kind of a career aha moment. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment for you into a success. Well, I think one of the great experiences that I had when I was much younger um, was continuing this racing. And, and uh, the year I actually, the first year I actually won Pikes Peak was in 1991. And that was, a, I mean, that was just a an awakening moment. It was just I had never really experienced any a big win like that, you mm-hmm. know, in those days with manufacturer support, you know, in those days Chevrolet was was very extremely involved, you know, they'd send engineers and the Goodyear engineers and motors and my god, I mean, <laughs> nothing they don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Some manufacturers do, but not them. And it was just sort of a it was a moment of just everything just went completely right the way that you had envisioned it and, mm-hmm. and even better than expected. And it just, you know, it was just a, a time where everything just unfolded as a, you know, almost like a miracle. Yeah, and right. uh, it's it just, I always remember that. And it's, and it wasn't that we didn't work extremely hard for it, but it just went according to plan and rarely does anything go like that. Well, especially at a racing event. And then you add the dynamics of Pike's peak. Oh my gosh. I mean, around every corner, something can happen, something can go on that can go right or wrong. Did that, as an aha moment for you, help you realize, okay, I'm on the right path here with what I'm doing? 
Well, exactly. I mean, it did. It, it, it sort of added a new dimension and it opened some doors because in those days, the, you know, the head of the Chevy race shop or GM racing would come to town and they'd say, Hey, you know, you're young guy, you seem to be pretty quick. And then you have a road racing background. Let's, uh, let's have you do a couple of trans am tests and oh, let's cool. try this. And, you know, we're going to be going to Le Mans in a few years and, you know, just everything started to look really good. And then, you know, of course things changed and there was a recession about that time in the early nineties and, and things changed direction a little bit, but it, it, it was, a it got you sort of the, the opening door to the big leagues and, and, you know, possibilities to do other events. So very cool. Well, awesome. I love yeah. it. Well, let's talk a little bit about what I would call your first special car in your case, first special race car, that car that you got in the first time you raced and you went, ah, oh, I've kind of finally made it. This is the kind of car that I would, I've always thought about wanting to race and maybe share a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, you know, as I said, I grew up in kind of a interesting time. Um, I did a lot of karting, you know, when I was younger, and that was that was a a big help for my driving style, which is basically smooth, and you know, you don't have a lot of power, so driver finesse is key. Mm-hmm. And one of the first true race cars I was able to to run was a Lola Formula Ford. It was a T five forty, which was the one. It had a big scoop on it, and yeah. uh, you know, in those days. You'd show up to a Formula Ford race, and there'd be 35, 40 cars. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, the grids were huge with all different kinds of cars. Absolutely. I mean, you just – you think real racing. I mean, and it was difficult to pass, and, you know, it's, it taught you uh, preservation and patience and, and mm-hmm. you know, everything that, that I learned was learned during that time with that car, you know, extreme smoothness. It was the same time they came out with the – swift which was a super aero car and uh i would continually beat the swifts on the shorter tracks that that we'd have in colorado but you know on the long tracks i'd get taken out with their uh, better aero Mm -hmm. but it was a you know it was a the 540 was a car that was really forgiving fairly easy to set up and and consistent through a whole race run and uh you know, I just, I'll always remember it, that it was sort of the beginning of, of, of everything that I've learned that I, that I currently utilize. The Formula Ford is such a great venue. So many people start in Formula Ford. They learn so much. And uh, even in the vintage racing that I did, I ran in that group. And it was just a wonderful group of people. The cars were really cool. And you're right, you had to be very smooth with them. Just fun, fun cars to drive. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. I would love for you to share what you think of as your most memorable race kind of take us through that adrenaline pumping time and share some of the experiences what the race was the car you were driving and why it was so important well i hate to be redundant but it just goes back to pike's peak in 91 the main reason it was so incredible was it was it was full gravel so the road was extremely loose at that time Mm -hmm. that particular day when I, i said earlier that everything went right there was one thing that didn't go right and that was they decided to build a uh aluminum flywheel instead of a steel one for less inertia uh. well through practice the uh the teeth became stripped off the flywheel so when i went to fire the car before the run it wouldn't start and you couldn't push start it without getting a penalty so we, they'd bump it i'd leave it in gear they'd bump it you know a couple inches and try to find a tooth and i'd uh-huh. re, try to refire oh, this, this is on my facebook but it went on and on and on and finally it fired at the last second and I was so angry and just, they gave the green flag and I just hammered it. Yeah. And I drove so hard out of just frustration 
I, I literally, I wore the car, I threw the car around, I did everything with it like it was in the, another hand. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I ran as hard as I possibly could up that mountain and won it. And by a <laughs> big margin, it was just such a, it, it was one of those moments that I went through all the motion, the, the motions, so to speak, the racing motions of heel and toe in those days and yeah. reactions and corrections and this and that. I I could barely recall anything on the run up because it, it just went so fast. I was in the zone and it was that moment that I had never really been in a full race like zone before to uh-huh. where it's just, you, you didn't even know it was your mind controlling it. I mean, the oh, car wow. just was incredible. Did that experience help you in the future? Yeah, it was because what it, what it did was the anger, it didn't affect my driving. All it did was make me push maybe 11 tenths and, and get things out of the car that I never even knew were possible. Okay. You know, I, I, I didn't know that sort of level of pushing the equipment. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. realize that you could actually hang it out that much more without backing out of it. And it, it taught me a lot about car setup and that, you know, you don't have to be, sometimes you have to live with a car that's mishandling, but the initial phase of setting a car up, you got to make it do what you want it to do. And, you know, every driver's different, but you can communicate with engineers and others on, you know, how you want to do it. Maybe that might not work at Indianapolis where, you know, those cars are basically engineered to do certain things and right. the driver puts his foot down, but, and, you know, with a lot of credibility for sure. <laughs> yes. Just you a know, little bit. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it flat out around, but other than that, Pikes Peak is kind of like a qualifying run at another race course because you don't get another chance. Right. The value in it to me, and it's, and it's, people probably find it hard to believe someone can love a race so much, but the value to me is that it sort of puts you in an area of intense head games and pressure mm-hmm. that you can, you don't, falter. I mean, you basically don't crush under pressure. And there's an enormous amount of pressure when you have tens of thousands of dollars being sponsored, you know, or supporting you. All these efforts, a week of people uh, living in town and crew, and and then it's all up to one run. Yeah. I mean, how, how could you not lose it, you know? And guys, yeah. guys sort of lose it all the time. They just, they can't stand the mental pressure of knowing that one mistake and they're out. Yeah, it's all over with. Wow. Well, I appreciate you taking us there. What a crazy, crazy adventure, wild adventure, but uh, fantastic run. Now, Pikes Peak is coming up here. It's uh, Is it June 24th? It is. It's the, the last weekend of June, but the event itself lasts the whole week. You know, they've got practice and tech inspection. And, right. Uh, I guess it starts, yeah, the 20th, and then the race is actually, uh, I believe, the 26th. You're right. Well, so. good, good. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you ha- has you really fired up right now. Obviously, we're just uh, a week away from the start here as your show airs from uh, Pikes Peak, uh, the 100th running of Pikes Peak. So tell us a little bit about what you're preparing for. What are you going to be driving? What are you looking forward to? Well, one of the <laughs> one of the things I'm doing now is I'm running a car that's uh, – amazing car that I've, I've had a lot of fun with. It's a rather contemporary machine. It's a Porsche GT3R, which is basically a Porsche Cup car, but it's the R version. So it's Ooh. it's one of the effort cars that ran World Challenge. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a fully developed, it's a it's a real R. It's not a whacked out chop mm-hmm. job. It's, a, it's the real deal. Larger tires, four liter motor, the RSR gearbox, 
Of course, it's all paddle shift, but it's it's just an amazing car. And I, I ran a, a World Challenge Porsche Cup car up Pikes Peak several years ago and had an absolute blast, even though it's not turbocharged. Mm-hmm. It's still it was still pretty quick. I went under ten minutes. Wow. The roads are a little bit bumpy this year, and that car has an extremely low ride height. So mm. we don't know how much we can get away with raising it without messing up the bump and all that. So right. it'll be interesting. I mean, it's to me, it's more of a, I guess, an exhibition and a tribute to running for the hundredth anniversary. I mean, normally I have a an open wheel car that I run that's won three times overall, and. Uh, I just decided I, you know, I'd just run this car and just have fun with it and see what see what happens. Yeah. You know? Well, very cool. We wish you the best of luck and success and a safe ride up the hill. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, David. If you were a car, or let me ask you this way, if you were a race car, what kind of race car would David be and why? Well, I uh I love modern cars, but I really have more of an appreciation for the older cars and especially being able to drive them and and uh be around them so i would say a ferrari gto oh <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'll and i'll tell you why you know it has nothing to do with the value of where they are now it has to do with the fact that that was a just a little three liter motor and it put out over 300 horsepower in 1964. Mm-hmm. And the car has a way that you can just literally drive the wheels on it and it just hangs right in there with you. The thing that, that it has the most of is soul, mm-hmm. which none of the new cars have any soul. There are a bunch of parts that are sort of thrown together and, and they're really quick, but they don't sound good. You know, they look a little like a stealth bomber. The Ferrari GTO was a car that that looked as fast as it was and it had a, a sort of a personality about it that's just you, you think of it as a person that you know you know that, or a, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's just it's a it's a it's just it's amazing it's it's more than a car really to me and uh, i always sort of appreciated that car just for what it was and 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 always every time you looked at it it looked a little different you know yeah. it, depending on the angle and the light and I got to spend a lot of time with it in in the days that it was around, and so I could go simpler and something more common. But I figured, you know, <laughs> there's only a few of those in the world, so I, I would be pretty select. Yeah, very well. Do you know where your dad's old car is today? It went to Mexico, and uh, it's back in the states now with a with a collector that, oh, that picked, it, picked it up recently. We, uh, my dad and I, used to go on an event called the colorado grand every year oh yeah and, mm-hmm. and we did it many times i did the inaugural event way back and then did it well while he was alive we did it every year in a ferrari 250 cabriolet series one nice. 1958 car that he picked up for an, a song because the the guy some the previous owner's wife didn't really care for it and uh. so he, he picked it up and, and just sort of kept it around he didn't really think that much of it and and when the day came for the Colorado Grand, we ran that car all the time. And just, you know, two or three motor rebuilds and gearbox and, you know, over the years. Right. But it was just a lot of fun, you know, to yeah. do that kind of stuff. Very cool. Well, David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. 
It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, David, we're entering into the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Okay. What's the best racing advice you've ever received, and who was it from? The best racing advice was uh, to finish first. First, you must finish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, you know, that's from a lot of people, but my dad actually was the one that told me, and... Uh, I always remember that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a great one. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Perseverance, mm. desire. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it, really, seriously. Now, how about a resource? Is there a resource that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy? Oh, you know, I... Uh... <laughs> That's, uh, you, you've got me stumped. I, uh, you know, I follow the world of news so closely with the Wall Street Journal that yeah, I well, mean that's that's my big. Well, um, that could be your resource it, right there. Well, there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interesting stories that touch on multiple areas. So whether it be entrepreneurial stuff, whether it be world politics, the banking mm -hmm. industry, um, automobiles, they actually have a pretty good car section that. Yeah. You know, you get some good write-ups on, for instance, the recent value of vintage cars has kind of taken a little dip, like the Ferrari market and some other things. But, right. you know, it's, it gives you more of a worldly perspective yeah. and uh, different references from there. But right. I I right. use that a lot, really. I don't really like to diddle with blogs and stuff like that because it seems a little one-dimensional yeah. for me. But Anyway, Understood. that's kind of a general answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's great. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy reading as well? Well, I I hate to recommend it because I haven't read the whole thing. And I, my reading is all over, you know, whether it be world history or business and mm -hmm. things like that. But I've picked up this book called uh, Grit 
And what do you know? It's the the power of passion and perseverance. And it goes into, uh, it's by Angela Duckworth, it goes into sort of this power, passion, and perseverance are the keys to success. And it, you know, goes beyond the, the you know, IQ and, and education and, and other things. It's more about experience and drive. And sure. it's, you know, it sounds like sort of the, the answer in a can, so to speak, but it, it goes into more depth on, you know, why it works in, in the type of people like Jamie Dimon with JP Morgan and, you know, all these different higher level business people, why they're so effective. And it, and it goes back to this core, core reading of power and passion. But there you go. Anyway, I'm, I'm just starting it, but I, you know, since it's new, it might be worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these great resources David shared on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash David Donner. And there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past 531 guest books are listed for quick, easy links to buy. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, David, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car if you'd like, a vintage race car in your garage, but you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You got to keep it, got to drive it, but money's no object. I will buy you any car you'd like today. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? <laughs> oh, geez. That's like choosing children. Or something. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, but you know, it's, the past 532 guests here, I guess it is, uh, have figured it out. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you to the fire. <laughs> well, because I've been able to drive so many different cars, and they all have sort of different, uh, different characteristics. Uh, there's a car that it's not overly special, but it's sentimentally, it's, it's, it means a lot to me. It belonged to my father, and, uh, and I've kept the car, and actually. I grew up with it. He bought it new, but it's a uh, 1967 Ferrari 330 GTC, completely original. And, you know, it still smells like it did when it was new. And it, I mean, it's like a time machine. When I open the door and put my head in, it reminds me of my dad and being a kid and, and, uh, you know, it's just Mm. a car, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's got something about it that is so empowering with what it represents. Yeah, um, to, memories. It, it, it is. It is a. It's incredible, and I'm fortunate to have it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I well, don't. I don't have to ask for it. Well, so. I'm really thrilled you have it because that means I don't have to buy it for you because those cars okay. are quite, quite valuable these days. But what color is the car? It's silver. Silver, pretty. And, yeah, uh, a, a lot of the early cars that he had were silver because of Porsche, the Porsche mm, yeah. influence. And uh, he did uh, sort of leave that that family, um, which is interesting. This is the irony in all this is that I've kind of gone back to Porsche mm-hmm. from being around Ferraris my whole life. So it's been kind of fun to to learn the culture, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you are very fortunate to still have dad's old car. Wow. And especially that one. What a, what a great thing to have. And uh, yeah, I know all of us, Enthusiasts know you open an old car, the smell of an old car, and uh, brings back so many great memories. David, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would. It's been really fun, and I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your career and your path and upcoming race at Pikes Peak. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off up Pikes Peak in Dad's 67 330 GTC Ferrari? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I I just think that it's it's all about passion and uh, you know follow your your desires and your you know your goals and dreams and uh, this world has an amazing way of of having things come come through in in different ways. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. Definitely. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and follow what you're doing and uh, maybe even uh, how can they, if they can't make it to Pikes Peak this year, where's the place to go and be able to watch it? Well, the um, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb has a website that's very informative on, you know, where the race results and, mm-hmm. and following the event itself. Um, so that's that's a good look up. And then I have a website for my activities, at least for the racing, which is Donner Motorsport singular donnermotorsport.com check it out there you go well listeners again you can find all these great links on david's show notes page at carsyad.com just type david in the search bar that page will pop up and you can follow what he's doing and uh, check him out see what he's up to and david we wish you the best of luck and success driving up pikes peak this year uh gonna be exciting can't wait to hear how you do thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and taking a little break here out of the the uh, preparations for the race and sharing it with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!